right along with the message tonight. We are noting our 18th article of faith, our 19th message, and it is the way of salvation. The way of salvation. And whenever I hear the word way regarding the Bible or anything, I think of two verses in particular. This verse right here, and if I remember correctly from another message, uh, my grandfather said this was the first message he preached from, and it was this. Jesus saith unto him, John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So there is the way of salvation. It is Jesus. And then you find, and holding John will be primarily, it, our text will be John chapter 14. But look over to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. And here we find in the scriptures, the Bible speaks of a gate. And it speaks of a way. And my, how true this is. Here the Bible says, if you'll note Matthew 7 and verse 13, he says this. In the Sermon on the Mount, he speaks and preaches, saying, Enter ye in at the straight gate. And so that's the, the command of God. And then if you note, he follows and he says, For, and so he's going to explain why one ought to enter in at the straight gate. And he goes on and he says, For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now, note again, this word straight means narrow. And if you think about it, the Bible is the most narrow-minded book in all the world. It is. Because the Bible convicts all people of sin, and it says there's only one way to be saved. And that's what we find here, is that the world, as the Lord says... Many find the wide gate. Many find the broad way. But he says that way leadeth to destruction, and there are many there be which go in thereat. And then he speaks of the straight or the narrow way. As I understand it, he's speaking of the one way. And my, how true that is. And you look on there and he says, enter in at the straight gate. That's the entering in. And then the pathway to follow after that. Well, I tell you, isn't that how it is after God saves you? You don't get to do whatever you want. It's a very narrow pathway that the Lord has already tread, and we're to follow in his footsteps. Now, again, I'll give you the $5 word for it antinomianism and that's just a big old fancy 
uh, scholarly word, and it means those who believe that after God saves them, they are free from the law and under grace and can live however they want. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible said it's a narrow way. That's the way that we ought to walk. And so we find here in the scriptures that Jesus said it's a narrow way. It's a straight gate. It's a narrow gate. And there are, in my studies, and I began to look, there are four main categories of religion. If we'll break it down this way, there are the Jews, there are the Christian, and we'll break that one down further. There is the Muslim, and then there is the pagan. And we speak of, uh, personally, uh, I think of uh, Muslim and, and, and uh, pagans as quite honestly the same. But we take for the pagans the Buddhas and the Hindus and those who worship about everything else and all the dumb idols. And so we'll take it for that way. But you know our text verse tells us here in John 14 and verse 6, Jesus saith unto them, or unto him, I am the way. Well, there's only one out of these four that believe, supposedly, that Jesus is salvation. So we exclude the Jews who reject Jesus as Christ. We exclude the Muslims who have five codes that they must live by in order to have eternal life. And we exclude the pagans who worship dumb idols made with man's hands. And we come down to Christianity, if you would. And I don't prefer for that term, but it is a wide acceptable one, and so we'll use it. Because you take all the so-called Christian Christianity or religions or denominations or whatever, the very few of them are Christ-like. That's what Christianity means. It means Christ-like. But let us again separate. As we began to do Sunday night, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 33 that God is not the author of confusion. Now let's look in Ephesians. We quote it there in 1 Corinthians 14, but let us look in Ephesians and we want to lay some groundwork here this evening. So many think that Jesus is the head of the Christian denominations regardless of their different religions or denominations. That's a falsehood. People take here in Ephesians chapter 4 and they talk and they say, well, he's the head of this religion. I can tell you Jesus is the head of the church and it's only the head of his churches. Roman Catholicism has their head. That's the Pope. The Church of England has their head. That's the Archbishop of Canterbury there in England. And so on and so forth with each one. The Presbyterians, they have a presbytery that presides over all of their churches. But the Baptist Church, it has one head, and he is the head of every single one of his churches. Here in Ephesians 4 and verse 4, the Bible says, now remember, Paul is writing in the book of Ephesians to the church at Ephesus. He's writing to one 
church. He has one church in mind when he writes it. And it's the same one that Jesus wrote to in Revelation chapter 2 that had left its first love. It's the same one. And Paul says unto this one church, there is one body. And there was one body at Ephesus. And he said there is one spirit, even as ye, the whole church, are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So remember, Paul is speaking unto a church. Now the, the um, editor or the guy who put notes in this Bible, it's a Schofield reference Bible, he believed that the book of Ephesians was the book written to the universal, versal, invisible church. Well, the Bible says otherwise because it tells us to the saints at Ephesus. So we find that Paul was writing unto a church and he says that you've got one body at Ephesus. Just like here in Caldwell, there is one body. It's not... This church, if, if when we receive a letter unto the Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, it's not to the other so-called churches in this community. It's to this one. When the water bill comes, they're not paying our water bill down the road. We pay it. It's sent to this one. And so you see that there is a church. And how in the world can you have all of these. Now you compare what we believe and you compare what they believe and you compare what everybody in this community believes as far as their doctrinal statements. If you took, I don't even know if they have any, but if you took other articles of faith and compared them with our articles of faith, they wouldn't even be close. How in the world can the one Lord be head over all these churches? It's an impossibility. God is not the author of confusion. Can you imagine the Lord being over this church and they're saying, well, here's how you're saved. You need to do some works. And then he's head over another church and they say, that's not how you're saved. You're saved in baptism. And then another church says, no, neither one of those are right. You're saved by grace through faith. And you believe God's head over all those churches? That's absurdity. It's inconsistent that Jesus would be the head of over all these different churches. But I, I, we had to say that. And now turn over to Galatians chapter 1. We said all that to say this. I declare unto you right now. That anyone. Church or person. Or convention. Or whatever it may be who says that you can be saved any other way than my grace through faith is a devil or demon himself. They are nothing more than a messenger of the devil. And the Bible says in Galatians 1 and verse 6, Paul writing to the churches, the churches of Galatia. Remember, Galatia is a region like the Midwest. And so he's writing to a group of churches in a region. And he says in verse 6, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, 
which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now I'm going to stop there. You know what the gospel is. It's the glad tidings of good news. It's the message of our salvation. That Jesus died, was buried, and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the only gospel. That's the only good news. Baptism is no good news as far as being lost. Because it can't save. Joining the church is not the gospel. Because joining a church cannot save. Doing works is not the gospel. There's only one gospel, and that's the work that Jesus did at Calvary. And how he rose from the grave. And Paul, so Paul says correctly, which is not another gospel, because it's not. There is no glad news in anything but Jesus and him crucified. Verse 8, Paul continues, and he says, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Now the origin of this word accursed is this, anathema. And what it means is this. It means accursed, devoted to destruction, and doomed unto eternal punishment. That's what Paul says. He says that if anybody preaches salvation by anything than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, let them be devoted to destruction and doomed unto eternal punishment. Because that's exactly what they're worthy of. It's kind of like, I believe it was Paul as well, I, I, uh, the Lord just gave it to me, and he said how that the Pharisees, how that they used to, they were keeping Israel blinded through their false teaching. Remember what Jesus said? How that the blind lead the blind and they both fall into a ditch? Well, that's exactly what people are who preach salvation any other way than through the finished work of Jesus at Calvary. These who preach another gospel, which is not another, are no more than children of Belial and of the devil. They're worthless. That's what a children of Belial is. It means someone who's worthless. That's what they are. Absolutely worthless. What good is it if someone comes to you, they preach the finest message you've ever heard, but it's utterly false. What good is it? It's worthless. What good is baptism to a lost person? What good is good works to a lost person? What good is church membership to one who's lost? It is no good. It's worthless. Because they're still dead in their trespasses and in sins. So the Bible says that through this kind of preaching... They make them, their hearers, twofold more the child of the devil. And I believe Paul said that, but what it is is this. You take a person, you tell them, oh, if you're baptized, you're saved. And then they come and say, oh, I'm baptized, I'm saved. And they believe that and believe that and believe that. And years and years and years go by. 
My, how they are twofold more the child of the devil because it's hard to undo a teaching. You know, you learn to do something the wrong way, it has to be undone and then retaught. Now, God can do that. He absolutely can do that. But I want you to look here as this, and, and don't misunderstand me. I do not believe that only Baptists will be in heaven. I don't believe that. I'm, in fact, as the saying is, is, I'm very much in doubt of many who profess to be Baptists as to whether or not they're even saved. I really am. I have no clue. I really don't know. Being a Baptist never saved anybody. And so there are a great deal of many people who can be saved. There was a fella, my father knows, many years ago, he was brought up at Roman Catholicism. He was saved. He had his own Bible. He read it. God saved him. But he didn't know about the Lord's church. But he was already saved. He said, I knew I was saved. And if you think about it, there's not a person here who wasn't saved before they were a Baptist. Because baptism is the door into the church. And in order to be scripturally baptized, one must first be saved. In fact, there was a week that I was saved and not a Baptist. And if the Lord would have took me, I'd have went home to be with him. So baptism cannot do anything. Being a Baptist cannot do anything as far as salvation is. But you know, the Bible teaches very much about the way of salvation. Jesus said in John 11 and verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You see, he said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Turn over to John chapter 10. Boy, I used to, really, I couldn't figure out how Jesus could be the resurrection. You see, it's not just this, that the resurrection, that he has the power, but that he is the resurrection. He is personified in it. Because he rose, we will rise in him. He is the resurrection. Not just that he has the power, and I don't think I can explain it well. But here in John chapter 10, the great teaching of Jesus as the door. Verse 1 of Gospel of John chapter 10. He says here, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Now remember that. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him. For they know not the voice of strangers. Now I'm going to stop there for just a moment. Now I remember, I believe it was, uh, either the last time Brother Blevins was here, the time before that, and he spoke on Psalm 23. And he mentioned how that he had heard of a fellow who was uh, over in, in, in Europe or uh, area over there, I believe it was. 
It doesn't matter where it was, but there was a man and he saw a shepherd and there was a, a, a fold of sheep inside a fence and he come and he called his sheep and he called them out and he took them and the sheep that were not his remained and he took his own out to pasture. And I read a book that I have in my studies and it stated the same thing. The author said he had seen it and he saw with his own eyes because he himself had a bunch of sheep that he shepherded. And sheep will follow their shepherd. They know him. Boy, I find that amazing. That a shepherd can go in and pick out his own and they'll follow him and the other ones stay there. And so they went out. And the Bible says, A stranger will they not follow, but they will flee from him. And then it goes on into verse 6 of John 10. This parable spake Jesus unto them. But they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. And shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. Now note, I'll not read it any further, but here Jesus says two tremendous things. In verse 7, he says, I am the door of the sheep. In verse 9, I am the door. By me, if any man shall enter in, he shall be saved. And there's more, but we want to note this. Jesus said that I am the way. He is the way of salvation. He said if any man go another way, he's a thief and a robber. And isn't that exactly what people are trying to do? They're trying to go another way into heaven. They're trying to build their towers of Babel. They're trying to get enough good works that God will accept them. The Bible tells us here, Regarding the thief and the robber. And you look in verse 8. How that all these things. It says all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. He said everyone who came before me. And you know all who came after him are thieves and robbers too. People who profess to be Jesus. And all these other things. But so we find that Jesus said I am the way. You know. You'll take all of Christianity or Christendom and you know they'll say, that's right. Jesus is the way. He's the way of salvation. You ask them up the road, cross the street, down the road, they'll say, that's right. He's the door. He's the way. But, or and, they want to add or they want to take away. But the Bible said, I am the door of the sheep, period. Period. Look, if you would, in John chapter 19. 
We believe, as our articles of faith state, that salvation is by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus at Calvary. Nothing added, nothing taken. He did it all. John 19 and verse 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost or the spirit. So Jesus says here, It is finished. And it was. And it is. Now there is where a great many of people differ. They'll say, oh yes, he cried, it is finished. But you've got to do a little something more. Well, that doesn't make any sense. How can you do more if Jesus said it is finished? How can you add anything to his perfect work at Calvary? Remember we said, we preached not long ago on... uh, what the resurrection of Christ uh, secures, namely our justification. The Bible says in Romans chapter 4 and verse 25 that he was delivered for our offenses and was raised for our justification. And justification means that we are accepted. It's an announcement that God has accepted us. If Jesus hadn't finished the work, If it hadn't been completed in him, God never would have risen from the grave. Because the work couldn't have been accepted. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, we are accepted in the beloved. In Jesus. Because he is the way. 1 Corinthians, if you would, chapter 1. I believe God did it this way. Salvation is this way. So that only Jesus might have the glory. Only God. You can't add anything to it. Isn't it amazing? People will take glory in faith. They'll try and just extract some bit of glory for themselves. That they might have a little bit of it. It's all God's. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 26, for ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world. And the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to nothing or to naught things which are. Now I'm going to stop there. Isn't it amazing when you tell someone how to be saved and you say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And they say, is that all? They can't believe it. Surely I must do something. That's the confounding. The Bible says that he has chosen the foolish things. Earthlings or carnal people cannot understand that God would freely justify whom he would. They don't think, they think, well, I've got to do something. Isn't that how this world works, tit for tat? 
Well, if you do something for me, then I owe you. That's why they want to do some work so God will owe them salvation to earn it. But God took care of it all. That's why faith is so mind-boggling to lost people. What do you mean? This is all that has to be done? All I have to do is believe and I'm saved? It's confounding. The Bible says that the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen. Verse 28. Yea, the things, yea, and the things which are not to bring to nothing things that are. You think about that. A dead person has no faith. Think about the lost. They have no faith, but they've got a lot of works. And God takes their works and brings it to nothing, and he brings about faith in their hearts toward him. He takes the things which are despised. People despise God. And he takes their despising of him. And he saves them. People don't want to give God any glory. And when he saves them, they give him all the glory. Now, why did God have salvation this way? Well, the next verse, verse 29. That no flesh should glory in his presence. How in the world can anyone who saved glory in the presence of God? It's all grace. It's all mercy. We have nothing to glory of. Verse 31, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. That's where it is. That's why salvation is the way it is. Because it's the only way God could get all the glory. As far as I can see. If God would have had man say, if God would have said, I'll do 90%, you do 10%, man would glory and say, I did 10%. God, you couldn't save me if I hadn't done 10%. That's exactly what they'll do. It's kind of like some folks you work with. You know, you do 90% of the work and they do 10%. And they want 90% of the credit and 90% of the pay. But the Bible shows us here that Jesus did it all. That's the way of salvation. He finished it. And I'm quickly running out of time. But I want you to note over to Exodus chapter 20. You find here what the Lord speaks of. And here is an Old Testament. Here we find in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 24. An Old Testament example. The Bible said no additions. Jesus has finished it. Here it is at Mount Sinai. The Lord commanded Moses. And God told me, he says, you're not going to make any graven images or silver or gold gods. Verse 24, an altar of earth thou shalt make unto me and shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings and thy peace offerings, thy sheep and thine oxen, and all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee and I will bless thee. Now know, and if thou wilt make me an altar of stone, Thou shalt not build it of hewn stone. And hewn stone is a stone that you take and you chip off the edges and you polish it and you do a lot of work on it. God said you're not going to have a hewn stone. He went on and said, For if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. He said you're not going to do any work on the altar. 
The Lord said, if thou wilt make me an altar of stone. He said, if you're going to make an altar unto me, he said unto Israel, and it's going to be one of stone, you're just going to take the rock as it is, and you're going to offer sacrifices on it. That's because the altar was finished. And our altar is, an altar is a place where a sacrifice is made. And our altar is the cross of Calvary. That's why we don't have altar calls. There is no altar here. The altar was Mount Calvary, and Jesus made one sacrifice, and is forever sat down on the right hand of the Father because he finished his work. He's not standing. He's not in a, uh, if you would, like a crouch position ready to get up. He's sitting because his work is done. And that's why we find here, he said, Thou shalt not build it out of hewn stone, for if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. You add anything to Calvary, and you've polluted it, and you have made it of no effect. That's kind of like the way it is when I work on something. Anytime I put a tool to something, it stops working. And that's the way it is with Calvary. You lay anything in addition to it, it stops. Calvary will not do anything. The Bible tells us, and I really need to finish uh, this point here, is that salvation is by grace through faith. Now remember that. Faith, as we said Sunday, is nothing unless it's on the right object. Remember we gave the example of the lake? If you believe that this lake will hold you, but the ice is only a couple inches thin or thick, and you fall through, you're facing the wrong thing. Your faith must be on the right object, and the right object is Jesus. Faith is nothing more than a channel of which God's grace flows. It's all it is. It's kind of like, you know, the Mississippi River. It's nothing more than the channel through which the water reaches out into the ocean. I like that analogy. I read it once. The ocean is God's grace. The river or the tributaries that reach to the ocean are the faith. Because it's through those that you get to God's grace. But there's only one river, and that's the river faith. But note, if you would, in Romans chapter 4. And we've noted several things in our study in the book of Acts. Remember, they had the problem, the Jews. They wanted circumcision. They wanted the keeping of the law. That's how a man was saved, so they said. Well, Paul took care of that. The Muslims say there's five codes that need to be kept. One of them, I used to know them because we had to know them for a test, and I think I forgot them after that. But you got to make a trip to Mecca. You have to pray five times a day facing uh, the east or whichever way is closest to the center. And you have to give alms. And it's all about works. It's really just a religion of works. And so we exclude them. We exclude the Jews. We exclude the pagans who worship dumb idols who are not the living and true God. And we come to, again, Christendom. And again, you take those and they'll say, oh, that's right, it's Jesus. It's by grace through faith. 
here in Romans chapter 4 and verse 1. What shall we say then? That Abraham our father as pertained to the flesh hath found. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed or had faith in God. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. If you want to work for your salvation, go right on ahead. You'll never earn it. If God gave us all eternity, we'd never earn our way to heaven. The Bible says here, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. And then verse 5, But to him that worketh not, but believeth, on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. That's the only channel. People say, oh yes, saved by grace. According to Roman Catholicism, if I still remember, there are seven sacraments. And a sacrament means that it imparts grace. They receive grace through it. If I understand, the last one is marriage. Now, it takes grace to be married. It does. But there is no imparting of grace in marriage. Which amazes me because their priests are not supposed to get married, so they must be one sacrament short of being saved. I never figured that out. But you see, they say that that's why they observe the Lord's Supper, because it's a sacrament. It imparts grace. That's why we don't call the Lord's Supper a sacrament, or we don't call it sacramental wine or the sacramental bread, because there is no grace in it. It's a memorial supper. We do it in remembrance of him. I want to quote here. I wrote a paper several years ago in college on salvation according to the Bible. And in my research, it stated this. Regarding Roman Catholicism, baptism was given to take away the sin inherited from Adam and any sins we personally committed before baptism. And they went on to say that sins after baptism were forgiven through penance, prayer, and works. Then they went on to quote Martin Luther. I had a lady tell me that Luther believed in predestination and election, and so they and Baptists are the same thing. And I was listening to a message of grandpas, and I said, you just keep listening, you'll find out. Well, Luther said this. It, that is baptism, is solemnly and strictly commanded that we must be baptized or else we shall not be saved. And yet, they will all say that salvation is by grace. But you see that channel. They've got the channel wrong. They're swimming up the river baptism. They're swimming up the river of communion. They're swimming up the river of good works. Those are all broad ways that leadeth unto destruction. 
There's only one way. It's by faith. People say, I've got faith. My baptism will save me. Your faith's in the wrong thing. Church membership will not save. Only Jesus and his finished work. Turn to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. The Bible is very clear. It tells us here regarding this tremendous truth. And so many folks, you know, they want to take this and they want to make a big deal out of it. Well, again, remember, the Bible interprets the Bible. And don't just take one verse. But look here in Mark 16 and verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now the Campbellite, or the Church of Christ, he'll stop right there and say, See, baptism is essential unto salvation. Well, let's keep reading the verse. Jesus went on to say, But he that believeth not shall be damned or condemned. So if you finish reading it, Jesus tells us here, those who do not believe are condemned. And I contend that as well that those who believe and are baptized, salvation is not in baptism. Peter went on to say that salvation is the answer of a good conscience toward God. And it is. We ought to follow the Lord in scriptural baptism. There are some, if you remember, if baptism is essential, then John the Baptist went to hell. Because John said, when Jesus came to him, he said, I have need to be baptized of thee. And Jesus said, suffer it to be so. But they'll all say he's in heaven. Every one of them will. But he was never baptized. Adam, from Genesis to to the beginning of the Gospels, when John began to baptize, because John was the first one who had authority to baptize, from Adam to then, not a single person was baptized. And yet on Mount Transfiguration, appearing with Jesus, was Moses and Elijah. Neither one of them were baptized. The Bible tells us that uh, the angel fought over the body of, of Moses in the wilderness against the devil. Now, why in the world would an angel fight over this body if it had never been baptized and was going to hell? What would, be, what would be the point? If baptism is essential to salvation, then the thief on the cross is dead and Jesus is a liar. Because Jesus said, today thou shalt be in paradise with me. Closing this evening, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> Again, salvation, the way, is in Christ. It's in his grace. Because Jesus is the gift. And God offered him unto his own by grace. God was not constrained. He was not compelled. He loved us without a cause. And he freely gave us Jesus. That's grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. It's the unearned favor of God. 
Why God would have favor on me, I have no idea. And I know that you feel that way as well. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Peter says gold and silver didn't save you. You know, baptism is corruptible. Church membership is corruptible. Sure it is. Lost people are members of churches all the time. Lost people are baptized all the time. They've taken baptism and they sprinkle and they pour. It's corruptible. We are not redeemed with that which is corruptible. He goes on into verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The blood of Christ is incorruptible. Because he says we are not redeemed with corruptible things. We are redeemed with the incorruptible blood of Jesus. And the only thing that's incorruptible is Jesus his blood, his word, God. As we said, all these other things. People say, you receive God's grace by communion, by baptism, by all these things. His grace doesn't come to you in that way. His grace comes through faith. By grace ye are saved through faith. And not of works, lest any man should boast. So we find the, this is the way of salvation. It's in his finished work. Well, I tell you, there's some folks, after a while, they get to glorying in their salvation, but they get to glorying in it in the wrong way. Well, we need to continue to glory in the Lord because the Bible says that his goodness leadeth thee to repentance. And you know, we believe because his Holy Spirit wrought that within us. We have nothing to glory in. Not even a preacher who preaches the gospel, because again, all it is is planting the seed, but God gives the increase. There's not a one thing. God has really, if, if people would look at it, God has stripped them of any possibility to glory in salvation. It's all due unto God. And that's something you read the Psalms. I believe particularly, I think maybe the last five, or they begin, praise ye the Lord. We call them the Hallelujah Psalms. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. That's all it says. Because there's nothing to praise man about. Because God has finished salvation. You know, if God left one iota, one speck for us to do, it, it wouldn't be completed. We'd have left it undone. If he said, I'm going to leave the 10% for you. Or if God said, I'll leave you a half a percent. If we really did have to cross over an imaginary line in order to be saved, we'd never do it. All glory is due unto the Lord. Let us remember that. Let's stay in this evening.
and be dismissed in a word of prayer. Remember each one, those family members, church members who are sick and afflicted, Brother Darren while he's away, Brother Eddie who is absent this evening, that you'll continue to be in prayer for him, his family, and his lost loved ones. Remember yours as well, and also that the Lord will bless us as we come back to the house of the Lord this Sunday. Let's bow our heads. Brother Chip, if you'll lead us and close in a word of prayer.